As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Laura Voss and Joe Park, current creative director and studio director, respectively, at Harmonious Productions. So join us as you explore their journey. So a little side note, unfortunately Joe had some technical issues uh, in the process of recording this episode and he didn't get them resolved until about seven and a half minutes into the recording. None of us were quite aware of this issue. It has affected the final result. So you will see Joe arrive in the conversation about seven and a half minutes into the actual episode. Uh, Apologies from everyone involved. Uh, It was something that just couldn't be resolved in the end. But he will join the conversation and we'll just pick up from there. Enjoy. So today I'm joined by both Joe and Laura. How are you both? Yeah, good, thank you. This is the first Dev Diary episode where I've got two guests at the same time, so I'm glad that we're doing it with the both of you. It'll be it'll be an interesting one. We'll see how it all plays out, but I think this could be really good. So both of you are currently working at Harmonious Productions, um, and yep. we're as with every episode of Dev Diary, we're going to go through or sit down with developers from all around the industry and we talk about their game development stories so far. So I'm going to kick off with the same question that I do every episode and it's up to the two of you as to you can rock off or whatever it is as to who wants to go first. But um, where did the game story begin? So what was your first gaming experience that you recall? Oh, um, <laughs> gaming experiences in like when we started yeah, playing yeah, games well, or when we started making games? Uh, yeah, sorry, playing. Cool. Um, I grew up with two older brothers. So for as long as I can remember, I've been playing games. I think we had a Sega first or a Super Nintendo. Good time to get going. We definitely had both, I think. Um, And then we basically would just save our money and get every console after that. Um, So I've been playing for as long as I can remember. But it wasn't until I played um, the Elder Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind when I really (coughs) sort of realized how awesome games could be and what you could do in them. and that was really exciting. So from that point on, I was I was very into games. Was was that like a, a trigger point for you that made you? Th- were you at this time thinking, oh, maybe I'll get into that myself, or was that just something that really consolidated no. your enjoyment, I guess, of games? Just enjoyment. Um, I, at that point, I had no idea that games was a job yeah, that okay. you could have. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that until I was like 21, 22, I think. Yep. Um, so yeah. So was there a game that either of you can remember at all that was that, and maybe this wasn't the case, but was there a game at all that kind of triggered that interest in perhaps making games yourselves? Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't Morrowind, <laughs> but there was, some, was there something no, after it that? No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't actually a game. Oh, okay. um, I, I, I continued to love games, you know, all through my adolescence and into early adulthood, but when I was about 21 or 22, I was um, actually almost finished with my drama degree. Um, and I caught up with a mate of mine and he was actually going to go to Swinburne and study psychology and games as a double major. Yep. And I was like, oh shit, that's a thing. That's a real thing that I could do. I didn't realize you could even study how to make games or um, 
or anything like that. So that's that was the pivotal moment where I was like, yep, I don't want to be an actor. I want to make games. That's that, that's an interesting time to pick it up and an interesting story behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, both of you, if if I've done my reading correctly beforehand, have spent uh, time at Swinburne in different capacities, at different points. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was what was that journey like for the both of you through those co- uh, through those courses? Were you were you attending uh, at roughly the same time or? Yeah. So Joe and I met in our last year um, at Swinburne. Um, so we. Uh, Joe was part of the software side of the degree, the double degree, and I was from the game design side of the degree. Um, And we basically, in that final year, you have to make a project over the course of both semesters. Um, And you work with the software development double degree students and make a game. Um, So that's when we met. And that game we made then, that prototype, actually ended up becoming Party Pals that we released in 2017. Am I right? that it was originally, it's, or at least at some stage, called Putty Party. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, I think I think I happened upon a, a, a gameplay trailer of some sort while I was, while I was doing some digging. Um, yeah. It still lives on on the internet. It's like, oh, boy, whenever we see those old pictures and videos, we're like, oh, no, it's still out there. But it, it's, it's kind of good in a way because you can really see how far it, it, it came when it launched. Um, but yeah, it is funny that you can still find that stuff out there. Well, yeah, I mean, I found it myself. So yeah, if uh, you, the listener, <laughs> yeah. want to see the origins of Putty Pals, then go check out Putty Party. Uh, it, it'll, you'll find it. Um, <laughs> so how did that idea come about? Um, well, when we uh, basically started that that last year. Um, it was, it was kind of funny, actually, because the programmers had to walk around to all the designer groups and listen to their pitches and then pick which designer group they wanted to go with. Yeah. Um, so it felt very much like if you were at school and, and you were the last one to be picked for sport. Oh, right. It was that kind yeah, okay. of, like, feeling. Um, but basically, when Joe and, and the other programmers came to our group, I was like, look, we've made a 2D platformer before. We want to make another one, but we want to make a co-op one because um, that's where our strengths are. And thankfully, Joe and Simon and Chris, and Tien, I think, as well, uh, were all like, yeah, okay, that seems achievable. Um, and then later, we sat around tossing in ideas and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it was Tyson, uh, our animator, who suggested a game about squishy potatoes or something um, because of him leaving a potato in his for way too long and it becoming moldy and squishy and then I was like well that's that's really gross so maybe let's not do that um, but then I was like look what about bouncing putty um, and you know that like stuff that's kind of like a bouncy ball yeah, but you can, it's malleable yeah. yeah so we decided to try and make that into a playable character um, so that's kind of how it all started and then it just progressed from there so might I ask what this uh, this previous 2D project was? Is that something that's accessible, <laughs> available, or um, I don't know if it's accessible online anywhere. Um, it was called Pogo, and you played as this character riding around on a magical Pogo, and you just kind of ended up in different worlds or something. I can kind of remember the story, but... 
we had like an Egyptian level and I think a space level. I can't, God, I can't remember. It was about three levels, I think, two or three levels with boss fights and stuff. Um, and it was pretty fun. I mean, it was a, it was, you know, a <laughs> first ever game project I worked on. Um, so it was okay, but I don't know if you can find it anywhere out there online, unfortunately. Maybe one of the enthusiastic listeners might be able to dig something up, but uh, <laughs> I guess that's, maybe, a, that's a challenge maybe. for you, I guess. Um, so uh, Party Party itself, you, you're saying obviously it's, it was part of the course that you were doing at the time and you had a strict time limit. Did you say it was a, a year, basically in that last year? Yeah, so the two semesters we had at uni, that's, that's the time frame. So basically from, I think, March to uh, October, end of October, November. Is that right, Joe? Uh, yeah, because it was around a PAX Australia. Yeah. Right. So how, uh, how does, a, especially you're still studying at this particular point, and obviously a business like this, you're always still learning things, but at this particular point in your careers, um, how does a project like that begin to come together? How do you manage the many moving parts given that very strict timeline that you both had to work with? Um, well, I guess kind of the natural leaders just sort of took charge, I guess. Um, and we had Chris, who was a programmer, and he was um, very good at project management. So he kind of, from the get-go, I think like the first week, we were all a bit, um, well, us designers were a bit like, who is this guy and why is he so intense about oh, yeah, okay, right. you know, management? Um, and then we learnt like, that that was actually really useful. Um, and then I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but you and Chris came and spoke to me and were like, we think you should be creative director or something. And I was like, oh, I don't want to self-appoint yeah, no, myself. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I remember that. And I think that was the, that was like a few weeks in or a month or two in. And that's when we kind of started to, to work on the hierarchy and you know, what everyone's roles were to try and help make sure that um, everyone knew what they were doing, I guess. To streamline um, things a little bit and have an established process and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because there was nine of us on the team. So yeah. it was kind of important that everyone to understand their roles because otherwise, yeah, there could be a lot of like, yeah, miscommunication and wasted time doing the same thing twice. All that yeah, completely understood. Uh, it's very easy in that sort of scenario. And I mean, we were talking before the recording, I'm, I'm a teacher myself, and you can get a lot of scenarios where yeah, people are kind of unintentionally stepping on each other's toes because one person's trying to do this great act of just get something done and get the work done and you're getting in, in the way and interfering with others. There's, lot, there's lots of moving parts and it's important to have those sort of lines of communication and established roles to make things a little bit easier. So I completely understand. And uh, how, how, upon reflection, and obviously the game did develop beyond... Um, beyond that one year but how do you look back on that period and how it's shaped where uh the studio is at these days and your own individual careers how, how did that kind of mold where things are now joe do you want to go first yeah sorry i was just thinking um I, yeah i don't know if i have like a yeah it's tricky um like i don't think it's like formally like molded sorry yeah that was that was probably too rigid a term i guess but um yeah it's just like i mean it's definitely influence, influenced yeah. like I, we still like um 
like we'll refer back to like stuff we learned at uni on occasion and stuff like that. It's more, I think doing it the way that Swinburne does where they get a big team to work on a project for like what is at that stage in your like career in quotation marks a long period of time because you've only spent like three months on a game before that unless you've done stuff outside of class. Yeah, and it's um, not even like, full time either. It's like two or three days a week if that. Yeah, I mean you delude yourself that you can spend 40 hours a week on it but like other classes have and personal lives and all that sort of stuff come up. Um, yeah, and I think like that being aware of like being thrown in the deep end um, like that is kind of like it was kind of sink or swim, and I think it yeah it taught like both Laura and myself a lot of valuable lessons from that point of view. Yeah, and um, I think um, yeah about how to manage projects as a leader and a creative director. I think for me it was that it really um, reinforced that we should always focus on the core of the game or project that we're working on and remind ourselves of that as much as possible so we don't get distracted by the what ifs and wouldn't it be cool if um, scenarios that can happen. Yeah, understood. There would be, I mean, I'm, I'm not in game development myself, but there would be a lot of what if and obviously you've got a lot of ambitious people working on these things so it's very easy for the mind to wander, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So how did things begin to develop from there? What, uh, what reflections were you able to make that then helped influence the future direction of that game which ultimately then became Putty Pals? Well, um, it was actually uh, the fact that one of our Swinburne tutors and lecturers spoke to us at, um, like we had a game showcase at Swinburne at the end of the yep. year. And he suggested to us that we um, join this um, program called Level Up. And the program is for teaching um, correctional inmates uh, more about their emotional intelligence. Um, and, you know, so stuff like how quick to anger they are, you know, how patient they are, or, you know, how capable are they of cooperation, etc. Um, and Party Party at the time, and even Party Powers now, is all of those things. So um, we thought, oh, that sounds really cool, but, you know, we would need to be, you know, a, a company and stuff to actually become a part of it to end up with royalties or anything like that. So it was actually um, that conversation that instigated the beginnings of Harmonious as a company. Um, yeah. Yeah, because our initial plan, uh, because we had a big discussion after PAX, was like, hey, we're going like, to work on it for three months and kind of see how things go. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it was like really like, yes, chatting to Stephen and getting like pushed in that direction that kind of catapulted us to, down the path that we ended up going. Because we were very like... Uh, dipping our toes in kind of thing because I know Laura you wanted to like I think at the time you were thinking of like moving to the US for work and like yeah. I had big plans about like traveling the, taking a gap here and traveling the world kind of stuff and yeah so yeah we, and I think we all thought that we would just use it as a portfolio piece like we would you know polish up the demo and then just have that as something yeah. we would use to get a job somewhere yeah understood um, um, so, but, yeah. so how did I mean? Obviously, Laura, in your case, you're looking at going overseas. Joe, Gappy, how did you all? I mean, you two in particular, but how did the group kind of land on the decision to ultimately double down on, the, I guess, the efforts at that point? Um, I guess it's because the project um, level up program just sounded so interesting and uh, something that we would never have the opportunity to do otherwise. Um, and it was kind of like, 
look, all we need to do is work on the game for six months or whatever, and then give them a specific version of that game um, to use in the program. Uh, so we basically had to design a, a very specific level that hit certain beats. Um, and so I think we were kind of just like, yeah, let's just do that, get it done. We'll make a company so that we can get that to, to you know, to work and whatever. Just a small and thing, then, making a company. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we were very gung-ho and very naive. We didn't really think it through much. Um, and then, yeah, all of a sudden we had a company and a game. Um, and then we sort of started working in the arcade and then people in the arcade encouraged us to continue. Um, and then basically, I, I can't even remember the, the moment in time, unless you do, Joe, where we were actually like, yeah, let's continue this, let's release it. Yeah, I was literally just thinking about that. I'm like, we set out like this like very like, just like three months is when we're going to make the decision. And then we like, it, I guess we just felt like we had enough momentum that the thought even to revisit that conversation never really became apparent. As in it was just super yeah. obvious I, that you needed to continue at that point? I think we were just having too much fun. Like the thought of stopping, because at that time game development was fun before everything everything changed. But yeah, like we were still like young and naive and we were just like, this is, we actually get to make games for like a living in quotation marks. Obviously we weren't getting paid at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it might've actually been um, finding out about the film Victoria Grant Yes, I think, yeah. Towards the middle of the year in 2016, and that's when people in the arcade were like, oh, you should just apply. Like, you may as well. You've got nothing to lose. And we're like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, that yeah sure, why right. not? And then if we apply, we might be able to ship this thing. Um, and I think that was one of the instigators in us deciding to continue on. Now, my knowledge of the that film Victoria Grant is... Uh, patchy, I'd say at best, but uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar with it at all. So, what was what, uh, what was involved in basically seeking out and obtaining that grant? Uh, yeah. yeah, so I guess so, like Laura and I are both lucky enough to live in the state of Victoria, where like obviously Victoria resides, and basically they have a grant that they open up about three times a year. Um, they encourage a whole bunch like game companies to kind of submit their applications um, and they have between like up to $150,000 available per project. Like most people would never get anywhere close to that because they only have a limited amount of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was kind of like one of those things where it's, it's a very, it's a, a first step that most people like taking their stories, at least from my, what I've heard. Um, just because games are so expensive to make um, and you don't make any money really until you ship it. So it's like really the only way of bridging that gap between, hey, we want to make this awesome thing to actually let's try and ship this thing. Fair um, enough. Yeah. So um, at that point, you've obviously you, you received your grant, things are starting to go pretty well. And then you, you spoke before about um, then the realities of game development started to kick in. So how did that kind of affect, I guess, the more business sort of side of it and the creativity would be driving everything for the longest period and then the business starts to kick in. How does that impact, influence, what sort of changes does that uh, bring to the day-to-day? Um, so actually, that kind of like, hit us a little bit before the Film Victoria grant. I yep. still, I don't know if you remember this, Laura, but I remember, I think it was before, it was around, it was just after we'd submitted our application to Film Victoria and... I remember like we were it was like the middle of winter so we were like we we're going through like seasonal depression anyway and like we were like really like not confident about getting any kind of money from them we're like look like we can't work for free for all that much longer and all that sort of stuff 
I remember getting a call from Film Victoria being like, hey, we'd love you to come in and do an interview. And we're like, I remember at the end of that day, turning to Laura as we're leaving the office, being like, I guess we need like need to care again because we'd just become <laughs> so like, we guarded ourselves emotionally from caring too much because we didn't want to like be torn apart by like the disappointment. Yeah, that makes um, sense. I understand that. Yeah. And so that was like the first, yeah, one of those. Uh, just Yeah, just- I think the reality was setting in you know, of just how difficult it actually was to make a game, to make a full game. And, you know, we just started understanding what development timelines are actually like and how much they cost. Yeah, okay. And then we really didn't think we were going to get the Film Vic grant because we were nobodies, um, you know, just straight out of uni. So we didn't have much confidence um, at that point. So you're obviously talking about being a little bit guarded and uh, trying to protect yourselves in case things didn't, work out is that when we start you know in the event that it didn't and we can only speak to your particular scenarios here is that when you both start thinking about okay maybe maybe the america thing i revisit or the gap year is that is that are those the sort of things going through your head at the time yeah for sure i think we all had backup plans or you know backup things to do or people to speak to if the worst happened um, I just knew that I didn't want to be a barista again. <laughs> I didn't want to make coffees again. Um, but yeah, those thoughts definitely run through our heads. You're not the first nor probably the last person I'll ever hear you uh, say that about being a barista. So that's... Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've spoken about the arcade on a couple of occasions now. Um, what is it like that being able to work in that sort of a space where you've got so many other little teams around you, there's people coming and going all the time, uh, I've been there the once or, uh, before and it's a fantastic little setup there, but what, what is it like for you guys on the day-to-day? Um, the day-to-day now, it's um, pretty normal. Like we just go to work and go home and sometimes we'll chat with people in the arcade depending on what the you know situation is. But the, the most amount of benefit we got from the arcade was actually in that first and second year as a company because that's when we could knock on people's doors who'd been around for decades and be like, hey, we don't know how to fill this thing out, um, you know, business-wise, or we don't know what this contract means, or, you know, how do we submit this? How do we talk to Steam? Um, all those things we were able to ask for advice for. Um, and we grew, we grew some really great mentorships and, um, friendships because of that. We were basically, um, yeah, we just wanted to be sponges and soak up as much of that advice as possible. And now um, we're in the position where people will come to ask to ask for some advice. And that's, you know, it's kind of a nice full circle of our journey in the arcade. Um, and it's nice to realize that we're one of the ones who've been around for a while now. So, yeah. yeah, it'd be an interesting perspective, I guess, because, I mean, and look, the, the gaming industry is not the only place where this is the case, but there is that period when people first get into whatever their career is and they are, they're, they're taking more than they're giving for obvious reasons. They're, they're learning, they're developing their craft or whatever it is. And then you get to this point where all of a sudden you are one of the more experienced heads in the, in the building potentially, and you're actually able to give back. Um, so I'd imagine that's nice and rewarding for the both of you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I know, I mean, initially, like Laura, when I first reached out to you, however long ago that was now, that was off the back <laughs> yeah. of having spoken to Andrew Anastasi, we spoke about before, one of my ex-students who's uh, working in the arcade himself, and he referenced you as someone, hey, you want to go speak to her because she's she's been able to help me with this, 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 this. 
and so you instantly shot up near the top of my list as a result um and so yeah i'd imagine it would be really rewarding to get those sorts of scenarios where it kind of becomes very cyclical um and yeah, you know, some of those people begin to develop and, and then there's this great community sort of feel that begins to develop even further yeah for sure and um joe and i actually do guest tutoring at swinburne in the same degree that we did um and that's also a way that we try and help students prepare for the real world of game development um because just like they are now that's how we were you know yep. full of ideas very naive didn't understand the realities um and so we kind of feel a sense of duty to to make sure that they're prepared um in ways that we kind of wish we had more of at the time when we were there yeah uh, so that's that's a nice way to keep that kind of uh giving back thing going does it help keep you grounded is... a little bit as well yeah for sure it actually i mean I like i don't know what it's like for you joe necessarily but for me i actually realize how much i've learned yeah, since i've definitely. left um i'll be talking to them and i'll be able to show them this this and this um immunity even or about project management and i'll step away for a moment i'll be like wow shit I've really learned some stuff since <laughs> since uni, and now I can sort of give that to these students and hopefully help them for the better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What, what's it been like for you, Joe? Yeah, definitely. I like that's pretty much the same for me. Um, yeah, like I'm not in Unity all that much anymore, just because like I handle more of the business side of things. Yes, yeah. but like it's definitely those moments where I'll be like like um, helping the teams with production and all that sort of stuff, and I'll be talking to them and. Um, like they'll have these like blank stares on their faces and I'm like oh fuck all I'm telling them is just stuff they already know like why blah 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 and then they'll be like oh thank you so much for like then afterwards they'll be like thank you so much for like telling us that we never even thought about it that way and it's just like one of those things where like it, it's kind of it's really good for me to be like aware of like the things that Laura and I and the rest of the team now take for granted is like a given stuff that we know yeah. is like they haven't heard before yes um, they haven't been out and experienced it themselves yet yeah, and like it's it's it really it makes you check yourself about like all of these assumptions and yeah all the like assumed knowledge that you have um, because yeah we spend most of our day interacting with the team or other devs in the arcade who have this like set of assumed knowledge about the industry and about how to run uh, projects and all sorts of stuff where yeah these students just haven't been like uh, shown that yet. That, no, that sounds great. I mean, yeah, it's a similar sort of experience again to what I feel like I see on the day to day. And you, you do, you get that sort of thing where you, you, you stand at the front of the room there or lecture theatre or whatever it may happen to be and you, you're talking to the students about whatever particular skill or concept or idea is in your, in your cases. Um, and you do, you see those kind of blank expressions and you think, oh, I'm wasting their time. And then it turns out it's just that you're actually throwing a million and one things at them and they're trying to process all of it and that you just kind of get that stunned, that stunned expression on the face <laughs> yeah. as a result, yes. um, yeah. which can be a little bit confusing if you're that person at the front of the room from time to time. You're trying to work <laughs> out where, what is this at the moment? Is this, they're being completely zoned out or the polar opposite? Um, <laughs> yeah. So how do you see Harmonious and your own, uh, your own individual careers progressing from here? Where, what's the, the next step? Putty Pals has obviously um, been quite successful. It's fairly well known, certainly in the, the local scene. Um, how are things progressing from here? Without giving too much away, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
We've actually um, moved more towards uh, serious games. Although I, I really don't like the term serious. I think it, it's alienating to people. Um, but we basically want to make um, positive games and applications that can affect people's lives in a, in a positive way and transform them, um, whether that be in health, education, games, uh, or, or otherwise. Um, and so that's sort of where we're heading at the moment with Harmonious. And we've met some really interesting people who are trying to do really different things in their industries, um, especially in academia. And that's really exciting to us because it gives us um, different kinds of problems to solve. And as designers and game developers, we love problems to solve. So um, it's, it's an interesting creative challenge and an interesting business challenge to head in that direction. Um, we still want to be able to make our own stuff. Yep. Um, and we do have a prototype. Um, that we've really enjoyed working on and that we're hopefully going to find a publisher for. Excellent. Um, and if not, we're hoping to release it anyway. Um, but we kind of work on that when we can. Um, and at the moment, it's mostly client projects. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do wholeheartedly agree with uh, what, what you're talking about when it comes to the title, Serious Games. It's, I think it's a little bit, yeah, maybe confronting, I guess, for some. Um, yeah. In terms of what it actually is, especially when you dive into the intricacies of what's actually involved, it's... Um, it's just it's more grounded it's it's more day-to-day than necessary people uh, necessarily realize I think people still hear serious games and they think the last of us for example um, <laughs> yeah yeah well, exactly because yeah. like technically putty fellows because of its use in prisons is a serious game and if yeah. anyone's played that it's definitely not a serious game in terms of like lowercase s so yes absolutely yeah um, so what does that do to kind of your perspective of game development when you've You've spent all this time, more recently, with the with the serious games concept in mind. Um, what does that do for the development of, say, that other project you're talking about that you know will happen when it happens? Um, how does that influence your development philosophies when you when you're getting into that? Um, well, our philosophy is that we want to make games that make people better people and bring more people into games. Um, so if we can achieve that through our game design and mechanics um, or art or um, yeah, any of that, then, then we've succeeded. Um, and to be fair, with Party Pals, um, I was very adamant that I didn't want it to be a violent game, that there shouldn't be any enemies. The antagonist in that game is actually your ability to cooperate with another person. Yeah, okay. Um, and so that kind of philosophy has continued on in other projects we do, even if they're not for a client. Um, we always try and inject that into the work that we create um, and really adhere to that thing of, this is a positive experience and how can we elevate that through our mechanics? I have to say, and you know, I've, I've messed around a little bit with Party Pals in the past and then I, I rewatched one of the trailers before we sat down to record today. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it, what you spoke of then really resonated with me after having watched those trailers because it, it is, it's not It's not about violence, it's about collaboration and yeah, maybe there's a little bit of craziness and it maybe it devolves at some different points to be a little bit of a, it's your fault sort of screaming silly fun <laughs> and game sort of thing, but it's it's there's that innocence to it that um, that I think still drives the whole experience for the players. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so, as we start to wind things down a little bit, um, you spoke a little bit earlier about some different lessons that you've learned along the way. For both of you, what have been some of the more valuable lessons that you as an individual have kind of picked up along the way, whether it's specific to the the wider games development scene or specifically your roles within it? Uh, Joe, do you want to go? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of lessons, like all, all you hear about uh, about game dev from the outside is like it's super fucking. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, it's fine. Not okay, problem. cool. <laughs> super fucking difficult. Um, and like, yeah, definitely learning the hard way that it, it definitely is. Um, yeah, and just like the classic, like it's it's all like the stuff that you hear that you you like to delude yourself isn't true but actually is like things take twice as long as you think it is you think it is going to all that sort of stuff um yeah i don't know it's yeah i'm struggling to like come with like it's like a, a list of like lessons that i've learned that I, can I guess maybe um for you in particular it's how you organize your day yeah okay. yeah no, no true yeah like so because when of your your biz dev stuff yeah so when we first started the company um we realized that someone was going to have to do like what we like referred to as like the business stuff at the time, which really just meant handling all the money and doing taxes. Yeah, uh, and it it kind of became ended up becoming like everything that didn't wasn't directly involved in the, the development. So it was like the production management um, and all that sort of stuff. And like I, at the time, like I graduated with a computer science degree, and so I would spend like some of my day programming and then some of my day doing all this sort of other stuff. And it did get to the point where I found that switch quite difficult to make. And yeah, we, I ended up making the decision with like the rest of the team that towards the end of the first year of the company that I was going to kind of like give the programming side of it away and focus more heavily on the production and the business side of things because that was going to be most beneficial to the company as a whole. Yeah. Um, because Simon is incredibly talented and can do yeah amazing amounts of work in limited amounts of time from a programming point of view. So we didn't need me as much as we needed me in other areas. Um, yeah, so it was just like being very realistic about like what you can actually achieve in a 40-hour week as well is probably quite is probably one of the lessons that we've learned yeah yeah i mean i'm glad like i hear you talk about the 40 hour week and that's that's a nice positive thing to hear as well that 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 is one of the main driving things as well to maintain that we know we we hear some pretty ordinary stories out there about what does and doesn't occur at different developers around the world so to hear the emphasis there on the 40 hour week is a nice positive thing yeah i mean that's one oh sorry Laura. I was just gonna say that's one <laughs> um, thing that Laura always like has been very like an, a big advocate for. I mean, I've, I again, I'm I'm not in development myself, but uh, I can only think that anyone, any individual, but also a company as a whole, is only going to be better off if they're actually getting a chance to rest, engage with family, loved ones, friends, whatever whatever it happens to be, and actually decompress a little bit, and then you come back and be able to put your best into it and produce better work as a result. So I think yeah, any well, studio 100%. such as yours that is really driving that message home, I think is doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, we try to encourage people to work from home if necessary, um, you know, and just feel free to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and if people are going through some mental health stuff, whether or not that it's serious or, or you know, um, just that they're really exhausted and can't handle the mental load at the time. Yeah. We really encourage people to take breaks um, and, you know, support them however we can because, you know, it's mental health is, is uh, an intricate beast and 
you know, it's different for every person. And so we need to make sure that Harmonious is a safe space where people feel like they can um, you know, work to the best of their ability um, each day. Uh, and managing that, would that be, uh, you know, across a larger team, would that be one of the one of the real lessons that you've learned along the way is like how to manage that across multiple individuals as well as yourself? Yeah, I think we're still learning, to be honest. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to understand, um, you know, especially in yourself. Sometimes yeah. I think it's been hard for me to realise when I've been burnt out. Um, like I think I got to breaking point towards the end of last year um, and I, I knew that my mood was affecting others, but I couldn't seem to change it. Um, and then, you know, had, made sure I had a break over Christmas. But it's the kind of thing that it sneaks up on you. Yeah. You don't realise it's happening. Um, and then it happened to me and, and it's happened to Joe as well. And we kind of realised that, oh, okay, if we're going through it, then that means everyone is probably going through it on some level. Um, and so it's sort of, yeah, I think it's just, it's all about communication really and trying to understand where each person is coming from and their own needs um, as well as our own and the companies. Um, and I think it's a continual balancing act. I don't think we've got like the perfect uh, solution or anything, no, um, I, I, but it's an evolving one. Um, and it's something that we're always going to try and work on and get better at, I think. No, absolutely. And I mean, as, as people come or go, um, each person brings their own different qualities and traits and strengths and weaknesses and, and those sorts of things. And so anyone that you happen to work with along the way, that's just another person to learn about and have to support in different ways. So yeah, absolutely. Agreed. I think it's I think it's fantastic that real emphasis on that mental health and looking after everyone in those respects. Um, have there been any especially large challenges to overcome along the way for either of you? So, something that really kind of clicked that was like that you know that that wiped the sp- sweat off the brow sort of thing afterwards. Like, wow, we got through that. Um, Joe, that's. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, that's I fantastic. Think, I mean, like, shipping shipping putty pals is probably, like, the one that stands out for me. Um, it was just one of those things where, like, yeah, it just took, took so much out of us. I think going back to what Laura was talking about with, like, feeling burnout but not actually being able to, like, realise that in yourself and articulate it to others. Like, we were all going through, like, various forms of burnout during that time. Yeah, um, yeah and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to add anything, Laura? Um, yeah look there's been multiple times throughout Harmonious's life where we've you know sat down and been like are we going to have enough money to do this are we going to be able to pay everyone Um, and then miraculously we'll get money from a project or from funding and we'll wipe our brows and go all right we can survive another day let's do this Um, so it's kind of every year we go through that to some degree like just ebbs and, and flows to get those cycles yeah and sometimes it's scarier than others um and sometimes feels more empowering than others um but we've definitely had some some really difficult times um but somehow we always manage to pull through and uh figure out what to do next so that's i think that's one of our greatest strengths which i guess yeah, then definitely. Oh, sorry, go go for that, Joe. Oh, sorry, yeah, it was just like, I think, like Laura was saying, there has been a lot of hard times. Like there is in starting any kind of business, like this isn't, isn't a unique problem to games. 
Yeah. Um, but it's one thing that I've never. It's it's one thing I realized like it was a little while back, but the thought of like giving up had never has actually like in any realistic form crossed my mind. Like we all have days where like fuck it, it'd be so much easier if I did like X Y Z. But like I love working with Laura and the rest of the team, and I love being able to do what we do so much that yeah like the idea of like stopping is like i just can't even consider it which yeah maybe i'll look back on this interview in like three years time and be like mate you should have got out when you could have <laughs> um yeah it's just i don't know it's just like one of those things where like it's the cliche of like find your passion and all that sort of stuff and like yeah. i don't believe in the whole it won't feel like work because fuck me it feels like work every single day <laughs> but 100%. it makes it so much it makes it so much easier in the long term when you really do care about what you're doing yeah, 100%. Um, whatever the profession, you're 100% right. Yeah, exactly. Again, like, obviously, this is Unity Games, like, but it is a passion industry, so a lot of people here feel like, yeah, come at it because it's a passion. Yeah, I completely understand. Uh, now, you spoke about shipping Putty Pals. I'd imagine for both of you that would be among the, the real highlights of the journey so far. Yeah, I think um, the Steam launch... It was really weird, to be honest. <laughs> that day when we launched it, we like hit the button and then realized that there was a second button we were supposed to hit or something. And yeah, so we okay. had to wait like a little bit and then it actually launched and we were like, wait, what happened? Like, what's going on? And then it actually launched and we we're like, oh shit, yay. What does this second button um, do? <laughs> oh, I can't even remember, but it was like a, you had to hit launch and then there was like a couple of options. You had to just, or something and then you hit another button and it's like this is the official launch it was weird we just weren't expecting that so we had no idea essentially it was the equivalent um, of the are you sure you want to launch prompt <laughs> yeah probably um and then i think it was actually the launch on the switch that that really hit me yeah. um because you know anyone can launch on steam really um whereas the switch was still very early in its life cycle um, and it was such an achievement for us to do that. Um, you know, we we are becoming more known in the Australian industry, but internationally, like we're still kind of nobodies here and there. So to be able to say that we had launched on the Switch with our first ever game, um, it's a big deal. That was that was a yeah that was a pretty amazing moment, and also just the fact that most of us had you know, had some sort of Nintendo console over the course of our lives. Um, it was pretty spectacular to be like, yeah, wow, I'm on that console now. You know, the same consoles that we would have played as kids. So given that point that you just made, I feel like it's the perfect way to uh, segue across to the, the final question I have, which is not harmonious related. Um, if there was, and this is, the, this is one I've added into recent episodes and I think it'll just become a staple going forward. If there is uh, one, is there one game, one dream game that both of you wish that you could have uh, been listed in the credits as being responsible for developing? Is there is there one at all? Oh, so g- g- given what, given you just spoke about, you know, obviously the Nintendo influence. I'm thinking maybe there's a Nintendo game a long way, but I could be wrong. Maybe it's Morrowind in your case, Laura, for example. But um, <laughs> is, is there a game for either of you at all that you just, you know, you'd love to have your name in the credits somewhere as being responsible for that title? Or in part responsible, I should say. Um, probably for me, it would have to be probably World of Warcraft. Um, oh, yeah, okay. It's the, it's the yeah. game I've spent the most time in. I've like 
whether it was like that was how I built friendships in high school, it was kind of how I kept in touch with them after high school and we all went off to uni and all that sort of stuff. Like it's just, it's it, like there's a small part of me that's still like if Blizzard sent me a job offer, I would probably like just up and leave. Not so much anymore <laughs> because, but because of how, yeah. But yeah, it's, so it'd probably be that, I guess. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a tricky one. How about you, Laura? I guess um, I kind of want to say just the Elder Scrolls, full stop. Oh, um, just any of them? Just permanently <laughs> just any, alongside any Todd Howard's them. name? Yes, please. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of that series. Um, and I just, I love that um, I can create my own character and be the kind of adventurer or hero or whoever I want to be in that space. Um, and feel powerful, I guess. So if I can, if I w- ever had the chance to work in an Elder Scrolls games, I would 100% take that chance. Both of you got, uh, have some really solid choices there. I'm a big fan of what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so if our listeners today uh, were to want to look up uh, a bit more detail about Harmonious, Party Pals, or yourselves, uh, where would they be best to go? Is there any way they can reach out to you? Yeah, um, so harmoniousproductions.com is our website and you can find more details about us and the company on there. Um, uh, personally, I'm on Twitter at LCVoss. Um, quite happy to chat with people if they tweet at me. Um, and we have a company Twitter as well, at Harmonious Productions. And um, I mean, you can just search Party Pals in Google and a bunch of different links will come up which will help you find the right thing. Go pick up the game on uh, Switch or PC or whatever your preferred platform is. Yes, please. <laughs> and Joe, how about you? Uh, yeah, like obviously all the company stuff that Laura said, and then I'm at JoePark92 on Twitter. And likewise, like always, I'm always happy to chat to people and give advice where possible and all that sort of stuff. And our emails are laura at harmoniousproductions.com and joe at harmoniousproductions.com. Yep. So if anyone ever wanted to email us, for whatever reason, um, they can feel free to. Yes. Laura, Joe, it has been fantastic to have you on the show today. I've really enjoyed uh, the insights that you've both been able to share, your different experiences. I'm sure the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed themselves. Um, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Laura and Joe's stories. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.